You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Sobe here, excited to continue our series featuring folks from all angles of education talking about how we are going to reopen schools. NLC LA fellow from 2017, Alex Serna is here. A returning guest, returning champion. We'll catch up with him. He's got some interesting takes and perspectives on this very key issue facing our country right now. So let's get to it. All right, Alex, I feel like you're in a little bit of a unique situation in that I feel like you have some good news to share about virtual learning experiences, where I think it's been kind of a mixed bag from other folks I've talked to. Share with the listeners a little bit about what's happened this summer for you. Sure. Uh, thanks, Eric, for having me on. So I'm, I'm uh, an executive director for uh, an education nonprofit. So we work with students from seventh grade through college. And, you know, every summer we, we typically do a six week in person, full blown uh, middle school experience. Um, our goal has always been to reverse the summer slide. Um, and then going into the summer, we, you know, we, we knew that it was going to be virtual, but we had a lot of questions. And, and one of the things that we thought about was, you know, how, how do we build the rapport and relationships mm-hmm. that make our in-person program so unique um, into this virtual platform. And, you know, we started with our students, like we started to ask them um, in April and May um, and start really thinking about, you know, how do we design this, this program to, to really support your learning, but also, you know, to, to, to build that community that we tend to build in the summer. Um, and to be really honest, like I wasn't, I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to turn out. You know, we were, we were trying to manage expectations around attendance. We were like, all right, you know, we're, we're typically in the, in the high 90s in person. Um, and we were like, all right, let's just, let's just try to manage how we're going to, how, how the summer will look like. On the first day, you know, we had um, 20 Zoom classrooms going on um, all, all morning. So kids were in live teaching for 14 hours a week. They were in class from nine in the morning to 1.30, full-blown teacher, you know, live teaching. And, um, and, and, I, and each room had, was, you know, the number was around 20. So I'm clicking in Zoom rooms. I'm like, next room, 20, next room, 20, next room, 17, next room, 18, next room, 19. <laughs> and you, I just go down the line and it's just filled with kids um, engaging with our virtual programming. So, you know, I, I think it went, it went well. Uh, we're getting some data in terms of uh, pre and summer surveys and, and some academic data, but just from the onset, it looks like it, it was successful. And then if you had to give advice then to not only teachers who are going to have to do the same thing when we start school here coming up, but just, uh, I guess, anyone who's having to lead any sort of group activities, leadership training programs, even you think of NLC Institute maybe having to be virtual again, what advice would you give folks to to follow as they, they plan on making that experience worthwhile and making that experience engaging? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And and, and I, I could speak from a couple of perspectives. So one from, you know, the, the middle school student uh, program experience, and then one from just a personal kind of professional mm-hmm. on, in, in this kind of virtual world perspective, too. Um, but I would say, you know, the many things that we know make a really strong classroom culture are the same things that we want to apply virtually um, and try as, as much as we can. And, and I know it's 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 not the same. And, and I know for many of our teachers in our program, they were they were looking at their screen and, and maybe some students had their cameras on and maybe some didn't. But they, but they were there. Uh, we knew we knew they were there. Um, and it was really a matter of, you know, trying to build in time to just like talk. Um, and I remember uh, jumping into a room once and it was the start of class. The first five minutes, the teachers and students were talking about like, what's the best hot sauce? They're like, Tapatio, Valentina. <laughs> and, and, you know, from an instructional perspective, you'd be like, that's Alex, that's not teaching. Like, but 
you know, if you really think about it, uh, that was an opportunity for that teacher and those students to build community and rapport and then get, then get into the nitty gritty of teaching. So I think one thing, especially for students is think about, think about them, think about the end user and think about how we're trying to create this experience virtually um, and then reminding ourselves of like, what are the best practices that we, that we use uh, in, in the physical classroom and try to apply them. Um, fortunately, it looks like California is at least raising the expectation to have um, at least six hours of live teaching, um, mm -hmm. you know, as part of as part of the curricula. So that's good. And the second part, in terms of just uh, you know the the, the more adult side, I, I think there's an, a lot of places where we want to continue to uh, leverage our collective experiences. But I also think you know, there's moments where we can do, we can still do things, you know, outside of the virtual world, right? And and there was there was an opportunity for us to do a lot of asynchronous work um, and to kind of build in that time for, for, for just reflection and processing by yourself. Um, and I think that's important too. We, we also want to kind of balance those two things, those two things. And then in terms of communication with, with families and setting expectations there, I know that's going to be a key piece for, for classroom teachers and schools once we get rolling here in a couple of weeks. I'm sure that was true for you as well. How did you find yourself communicating to families what the expectations would be? What were some of the best practices with that so folks can consider them? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So our program is, has a, a really strong commitment to our, our families and, and our community. Um, and, and this summer was no different. So we, we actually had a couple of new positions that we created. Um, uh, we had a family engagement intern who was actually one of our students who, who's now going to USC. Um, and he was basically in charge of, of, of being the liaison for families. So he would send, um, you know, messages by text. He would send messages by phone. He would call families. He would, we would do emails. We would do things on social media. Um, we had, you know, like Zoom sessions where parents could join and, and ask questions, like kind of like town halls where we were able to just, you know, kind of see where families were. Um, and we were also thinking about not just the communication part, but the like the support that families need right now outside of the classroom or the virtual classroom. So, you know, our program is uh, education focused, um, but we recognize that many of our families were experiencing severe food insecurity, um, housing insecurity, um, just general economic insecurity. Um, so we were able to raise uh, over $100,000 in like three days to uh, to oh, be wow. able to dis disperse grocery carts to families. Mm -hmm. So we, we did that all throughout the summer. So I think, you know, I, I know teachers have a certain locus of control in terms of what they do, but really, you know, working with our, our local community partners and, and school districts to think about, you know, s supporting the whole family right now, even more than before, because I think, um, you know, if a student, many of our high school students had to work um, to support family and if there's anything that we could do to, to help, you know, pay for food or, or assist with any housing, then, you know, that, all, that ultimately drives back to supporting them in the classroom too. When we come back with Alex, we'll talk a even more about the challenge of opening schools this August and this fall. Thanks so much for tuning in this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. And Alex, I have this right. You you have some kids of your own at home, correct? I do. Uh, there are uh, four of them. <laughs> what are the age ranges these days? Uh, the oldest is 13, uh, twins that are 11, and the youngest is going to be nine uh, in September. And so what are your expectations as a as a parent for how you want school to to go once we get started here? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. If you were to ask me that question um, in April, I would say let's definitely try to strive to get them in person, um, in school, because, because it's, you know, they, they want to be with their friends. But 
I think now, um, especially depending on where you are in, in the state or, or, or in, the, in the country, there, there's a lot of like apprehension about, you know, sending your kids back right now and, and not really being sure, you know, if, if it's going to be the safest for them. And, and relatively, we're relatively lucky that we're, you know, we're young and, and healthy. So, but I think for, for us, and, and there's also the, the, the calculus for many families that they might have older families in their, in their, in their, in, in their community that they're close to that they want to put at risk. And um, this is just a side note, but, you know, there's counties, schools, departments of education and counties that aren't completely taking this, um, uh, uh, this, this reopening as seriously. So our Orange County Department of Ed made national news for uh, making guidelines or recommendations to local school districts to open without having to, without masks or social distancing or anything. So I think there's a lot of uh, both uncertainty of what, what, what it's going to look like, but there's also like uncertainty in terms of what leadership wants. And, and I think that, that for as a parent, that, that just creates even more uncertainty for us. So, um, you know, we're, we're planning to, to uh, have our kids, uh, you know, uh, do school online. And I know more, some of the districts, we, we live in San Diego, are, are planning to do that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then you know, one of the things I was talking to a teacher with a little bit earlier today was, you know, once we do get to a place where kids can be in school five days a week again, and hopefully that's in the spring, what would you want to see happen, again, kind of with your, your parent hat on, in terms of catching kids up or trying to get them to a place where they're just more comfortable in general, being back in a school setting and being social with, with other kids, other people. Yeah. What kind of uh, resources do you want to see put towards that, that, that challenge of getting kids back to a, a place where they would have been if this had never happened? Yeah. I, I mean, there was a, there was a report that McKinsey um, published, I would say in June, June or May that, that, that predicted that, that students would lose between 10 to 14 months of learning. Uh, and that was before, you know, that was assuming that schools would reopen in person in the fall. So mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're going to be coming I, into I the spring and, and teachers with a lot of learning loss. So I, that's one huge, that's like one huge thing right there, right? That, that could, that could take a long time to think about how, how are we addressing that for, for all students, right? For all students from, from, um, and so there's a, I think there's that, but there's also the things that we've always known um, that we needed to do in schools and in the community, right? Providing students and families with, um, you know, with, with the things that, that, that create more equity, right? Whether that's access to food or, or healthcare, uh, mental health for students. I, and then in this pandemic has obviously kind of brought those things to light even more for, 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 for so many, right? Um, so I think as we go into the spring, there's definitely going to be an opportunity for just students and, and, and teachers and the community to just like, process and heal from from this from from all of this um and i don't know what that looks like in class in in the classroom but Mm -hmm. i know there's many teachers who are very focused on that relationship in that and that community in their own classroom and and i'm sure that we'll take that moment to to do just that right to reflect and process um but then we gotta then we gotta start thinking about you know this what this year or possibly longer is going to have um what what impact it's going to have long term right you know if you think about um you know either whether you're 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 focused on college or you're focused on you know just the the general like being a human being and what this means to you i think those are all questions that we need to be be thinking about and and trying to thoughtfully answer um you know as as for us as a as a nonprofit, but also as you know local school districts and, and and national networks 
Yeah. Well said. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks as always for your insight, both as a professional and as a dad of many. Appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. Make sure to catch all the episodes we've been dropping this week from educators across the NLC community across the country, dropping even more next week as well. And if you want to join us, just reach out and we'll make sure to get a recording set up. But yeah, check out our podcast at SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google. They're all there. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.